I'm Brandon Bartnick, and this is the Future of Mobility Podcast. The Future of Mobility Podcast is focused on the pursuit of safe, sustainable, effective, and accessible transportation of goods and people. Given the critical nature of the world's climate and energy needs, these topics have never been more important, and they're certainly important to me. So, this podcast is a weekly interview series in which I learn from and put the spotlight on the people helping to develop and implement the technology required to move us forward. Who am I? As mentioned, my name is Brandon Bartnick, and I'm an engineer who realized that making a positive impact is the most important thing to me, both through this podcast and my career in the industry. If you're passionate about any of the topics I cover here, please feel free to reach out on LinkedIn or Twitter. I'd love to connect. Also, if you hear anything you like, please consider sharing the future mobility with a friend or colleague. This podcast is brought to you by Edison Manufacturing and Engineering. Technology innovation is great, but it doesn't mean anything if we can't bring our impactful products to life, which means we have to build them. And unfortunately, that's easier said than done, especially for startups and evolving companies that need a reliable option for low volume builds. That's where we come in. Edison is your turnkey manufacturing partner, specializing in build and assembly of highly complex products in annual volumes of 10 to tens of thousands, utilizing an agile and capital light approach. If you need a trusted manufacturing partner, then please visit us at edison-mfg.com or feel free to reach out to me directly at brandon.bartnick at edison-mfg.com or by visiting my LinkedIn page, Brandon Bartnick. Now to this week's episode. Today's guest is Richard Morin. Richard is Director of Business Development at Resonant Link, which is helping to change the world by delivering groundbreaking, high-power, economical, wireless charging solutions for medical devices, robotics, consumer electronics, and electric vehicles. Their claim, 10 times the performance of current solutions at a fraction of the cost and size. So we're talking wireless charging. We Given the nature of this specific podcast, Future Mobility, we focus in on mobility applications, talking about forklift, talking about some on-road type applications, and what goes into this really, the value proposition of wireless charging for these different applications, how this can be implemented into real-world use cases, and you know some of the challenges historically with these types of solutions and how Resonant Link is thinking about these differently. So I'll leave it there for now. Please enjoy this conversation with Richard Morin. Today, I'm joined by Richard Morin. Richard, thanks for joining the show. Thank you, Brandon, for having me. Yeah, this fun topic here, wireless charging from several areas. I'm excited to, uh, I guess, revisit this and also dig in. And I think you have a unique perspective in the work that you're doing at Resonant Link. So this should be a good time. So with that being said, would you mind setting the stage, introducing yourself and what you guys are doing at Resonant Link? Yeah, so my name is Richard Morin, um, and I lead business development for the mobility group at Resident Link. And so mobility, um, really for us, is everything with wheels. And the, the place that we've chosen to start, uh, because there's real high value for wireless charging, is material handling. So uh, like most people, you, you probably don't know what material handling is, but um, material handling is everything from uh, getting... Uh, that great uh, new pair of shoes that you ordered on Amazon to your doorstep uh, to actually automotive lines and any sort of manufacturing facility, taking the parts and pieces and, and moving them along a manufacturing line. And and oftentimes this, this is accomplished by um, electric vehicles. We often focus on 
electric vehicles being in the roadways, but the reality is right now there are hundreds of thousands of electric vehicles in our warehouses and our manufacturing facilities. And one of the things that we've discovered uh, as part of our journey in mobility, and, and I'll back up in a minute to talk about a little bit about, to set the stage even further, is that in uh, material handling, um, there's a lot of challenges um, that uh, the operators of the forklifts themselves, as well as the facilities face with wired, uh, wired solutions. So, wireless um, uh, is is very much desired in the space that, from the respects that a, a driver or an autonomous vehicle for that matter can pull up to a base station uh, instantly do a digital handshake um, do a safety check and walk away as opposed to uh, having to remember to plug in or wrestling the cables or or uh, swapping batteries which is often uh, happens in the warehousing space whereas they literally left these these batteries which are, are massive in many instances and, and, and quite heavy uh, out of the vehicles and swapping a new battery um, that is fully charged so there's a lot of challenges in that 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 space so backing up a bit so what makes resonant link unique wireless charging as we all all know has existed for quite some time and was was demonstrated by uh, no other than nikola tesla back in the day um, wireless charging remained dormant for many years in, in many respects and uh, really started making it into the commercial space with your sort of consumer electronics maybe two decades ago and such. But much of, of wireless charging was based on a lot of the technology that uh, even Tesla himself was using, the approach, I should say, to building wireless charging. It, the field had not really significantly advanced in terms of the approach to wireless charging. And so one of the challenges that the field has faced um, during those sort of dormant, dormant years and let's say nascent years is that the approach that many people were taking was really bounded by physics. By the, what I, by that I mean um, the physical constraints or the constraints of physics of, of the building blocks that we're using were such that uh, you were really limited things like air gaps, efficiency, uh, misalignment, which all affect um, uh, the commercial viability of, of the technology and, and, and that's irregardless of the costs and size and packaging of the systems. So Resident Link really is quite different. Um, it started um, out of research done at Dartmouth College and Stanford University that really looked at the fundamental building blocks of wireless charging. And uh, what they did was approach it from a, a quite a different perspective. Um, I think one of the, the fundamental things that we understood and, and many people understand wireless charging is that the wireless charging coils themselves, the, the coil that sits on the sort of transmit side and the coil that sits on the receive side, um, fundamentally, uh, let's wire uh, coils uh, have that sort of bottleneck or constraint we talked about. And so our you know sort of smart team of many PhDs uh, came up with an approach that fundamentally um, re-examined how you built those coils. And instead of building them out of copper litz wire, uh, in many cases, we are building them out of thin foil metals, whether it's copper or aluminum um, at four micron thickness, and then meeting them with dielectric and then stacking, stacking them. 
And in doing so, what we discovered was these coils go from a Q factor of say 500 as kind of their limiting factor. Um, and the Q factor, um, I'm not an engineer, so I'll, I'll put it in my layman's term, I'll just refer to as quality factor. Um, so the Q factor of a, of a conventional system is kind of taps out about 500. Our systems in, in, in many cases are above 2000. So with that sort of quality factor being improved, so to speak, um, we're able to do a number of things um, that really unlock the commercial viability of wireless charging uh, in many different industries. And we can talk about the various industries we're working in, yeah. both from a technical performance perspective, but more importantly, in a packaging and cost perspective. Yeah, and um, I think that's a good- I've kind of thrown up on you. I'm gonna take a pause here. <laughs> no, that's a good, that's a good place to uh, set the stage, right? So. And lots of follow-up questions. I think we'll touch on the multiple applications um, yeah. and and how these are applied and use cases and all all those types of things. I guess one kind of initial uh, a few questions as you were talking. One was um, you mentioned that you're leading business development for the mobility aspect of Resonant Link. Um, what what are the other focus areas outside mm -hmm. of mobility? Yeah, and so really when uh, we first came to market, the research started in I think 2013-14 at Dartmouth and then in 2018 um, we spun out our founders, our four founders, um, uh, our CEO Grayson had studied wireless charging um, at Stanford University and he focused specifically on power electronics. He had previously uh, worked in the mobility space, building some of the first electric uh, dump trucks and garbage trucks and things of that nature. So you saw wireless charging was was very much needed and relevant for commercial applications of electric vehicles. And then our other uh, three co-founders were at Dartmouth College really focusing on the magnetics. But the area and market that we first focused on when we came out was implanted medical devices. So think about your heart pumps and and neurostimulators, there's a number of, of implanted medical devices that have what are called drive lines that literally come out of the body that you have to plug into or, or batteries that have to be replaced. So the reason that we focused on this was this is a, this is a really highly technical application of wireless charging um, that conventional wireless charging in many instances can't meet um, the application's needs. And so for example, um, the FDA says that you cannot put uh, wireless charging in the body and, and have a two degree temperature rise or more than a two degree temperature rise. And so uh, that temperature rise uh, is what you want to mitigate for because you don't want tissue damage within, within the body as a result of the, the charging process. Um, our sort of secret sauce and our coils allows for really low losses and in, in, in wireless charging losses um, sort of manifest themselves in, in, in thermal. So uh, with sort of that super low loss coils, we're, we're able to put um, uh, the technology in the body at depths that others couldn't do and at power levels others couldn't do and meet FD approval. So we have, uh, we, we went into the space very deliberately because we knew that wireless charging had been in the world for, for quite some time and, and, and there were some other predecessors that had emerged in the space and tried to, to commercialize it and and ultimately did not reach the level of success that they'd hoped. So we wanted to clearly differentiate what we were bringing to the market because it is significantly different 
than others in terms of performance levels. In some instances, we see anywhere between a, a 5X to a 10X improvement in the performance of our systems compared to conventional systems. So with such a wide gap, um, we wanted to prove that in an application where there was no question about the technology, if it was nibbling around the edges or really was an incremental leap forward. Um, so implanted medical devices is an area that we have, I think over two dozen customers now, your Fortune 100 companies uh, in that space, the leading providers um, in that space. And you know we have one customer in particular that I would call a foundational customer for us in that uh, they are a very large medical supplier, um, probably the largest in the world or one of the largest in the world. And, and they've literally been chasing wireless charging for implanted medical devices since the 1960s. They um, published their first paper about how it could improve people's patients' lives, not having to have drive lines or having to have battery replacement surgeries. And they spun up internal teams, they paid external teams, and ultimately after chasing it for, for decades, they shut the program down. Um, we met them and, and then less than a year proved to them um, that our, how differentiated our technology was and, and had them on the path to FDA approval um, within less than a year. So again, I think this is a example of how powerful our approach to wireless charging is. Um, and also uh, the, sort of the tantalizing um, nature that people view wireless charging at, from. Uh, I think we all fundamentally know that, that eliminating wires is, is a good thing or could be a good thing. Um, fortunate for us is that now we have a technology that's capable for doing that. Um, and then the second market um, that we, we've moved into, and, and we all have had the, the frustrating experience of, of having our cell phone and putting it on the, the wireless charger, and it's uh, uh, not necessarily working quite well or working quite inefficiently. Um, again, we're working with some of the leading uh, mobile phone manufacturers, cell phone manufacturers in the world um, to integrate our technology into future phones that will probably be hitting the market, I think, uh, either later this year, or early next year. So those are the first two areas that were kind of low-hanging fruit for us. But all along, as I mentioned, I think our founders were very much focused on mobility um, as the end goal. Um, because there's a number of benefits uh, in the mobility space, both from a practical perspective um, and from a sort of a, a larger environmental perspective that we could we could talk a little bit more. Yeah, and I guess but before we get there too, the, so the other foundational question I had uh, was if if we can just talk about the the, the fundamentals of wireless charging, right? And we, we don't need to get certainly to a PhD level or anything close to that, but just in, in case someone's listening and right, so I think I don't know, even someone who's not uh, su super savvy when it comes to batteries and electrical engineering and, and stuff, I think it's, it's somewhat easy to conceptualize the idea of a corded charging activity in which you're taking electrons and essentially funneling them into a, a battery source. Um, but the, the wireless aspect and removing the physical connection there maybe harder to conceptualize it. So would you, would you mind just speaking at re relatively basic level just about okay, what what actually goes into wireless charging? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. Um, and it, it fundamentally, I think, it, let's break it down to the most simple building blocks, so to speak. And so obviously you have a, a transmit side and then a, a receive side. And the side is, is mated to 
either your implanted medical device, put it in your phone, or on your vehicle itself. So there's there's two sides to the, to the equation. And generally, there's what we call an air gap between those, which makes it wireless. So an air gap can range from, you know, quite small to quite large. Um, and, and so from a fundamental perspective or sort of the building block perspective, you have the transmit side and you have the received side. Transmit side is connected to your grid. Um, in a mobility application, let's take material handling. It's, you know, typical three-phase, 480 um, uh, integration with your, your electrical infrastructure. Um, we take that electricity that is, um, or electrons, as you pointed out, um, trans, um, sort of transform, not just like transform, maybe that's, maybe not be the right word, but um, change that to a magnetic frequency that is then transmitted between the coils. So you basically have a pitcher and a receiver, I mean a pitcher and a catcher, so to speak. The transmit side is pitching the, free, uh, the magnetic resonant uh, wave. The receive side is collecting that wave and then converting it back to electricity and putting it into the battery. So on a fundamental level, it's, it's probably a fairly simple concept. Um, let's take out the magnetic waves, which is, you know, um, quite complicated and, and extremely technically difficult. And, and that's really where a lot of our secret sauce lies. But it's really um, a transmission of electrons and, and uh, magnetic waves and then conversion and putting it back into the battery, um, no matter what the device is. Yeah, and I guess this idea of translation from electricity into magnetism and, and back shouldn't necessarily be too foreign and that those are kind of fundamentally linked. And I mean, that's a foundational principle beside behind uh, the, the motors that we use as traction motors or, or otherwise. Just, I guess, now this is a different application. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, fundamentally, some people guys, you know, just these are transformers and you know, this the, the principles of it, I think, are very well understood. Um, the the how you do it, though, is very, very difficult. Mm -hmm. And how you are able to do it at a level that allows for it to be commercially viable is even more difficult. And, and that's really where our secret sauce lies. And, um, you know, anyone, not anyone, I shouldn't say that. I said many people have brought wireless charging uh, products to market, uh, but what really makes us different is is that the wireless charging um, products we're helping bring to market with our customer partners and, and our, by ourselves is that that our systems not only can transfer the energy and do it at a very high level of efficiency, but we can do it over very wide air gaps and maintain that efficiency um, as well as put it into really small packaging. So packaging meaning, you know, what? how does it fit on a vehicle? Um, and that can be quite difficult um, for conventional approaches to wireless charging. So uh, that ability to not only do it wireless charging well, but do it in a small form factor and at a cost point, um, that's, uh, let's say, a mobility company or whatever company we're working with can absorb and pass value on to their customers is, is really what makes us unique. Yeah, and you've touched on several of these points, but I just making sure that we're, we're clear on so so the traditional challenges or the reason why let, let's stick for, for now with the, the material handling application so like the reason that every battery electric forklift right now does isn't necessarily wireless is it, it seems to me like it's a combination of one efficiency right so as i understand it traditionally the air gap like the efficiency scales geometrically with the air gap and so as 
you're going to have some gap between the transmitter and the receiver, and as that grows, it becomes less and less efficient, uh, and not not linearly like worse than that. Mm -hmm. And then also reliability, which you touched on, like you know alignment and confidence that when someone tries to utilize this system, that it's going to work seamlessly. And cost are those really the the three pillars that have been the the reason this technology isn't uh, yeah in every forklift today. Yeah, I think one of the, the fundamental reason it hasn't been in every forklift today is, is really the um, the air gap. So there are you know some folks on the marketplace that have uh, wireless charging um, products uh, that are aimed at the material and handling space, but the air gap is let's say two inches. So that means a forklift driver or an autonomous vehicle has to to pull up within ten inch, uh, excuse me two inches of their base station to receive that that wireless transmission of energy. Our get air gap is 10 inches and our misalignment is as a foot. So six inches plus or back. So that 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 very wide air gap again going back to sort of like a commercial application um, creates an opportunity because you know forklift drivers are quite skilled but asking them to pull up within two inches of something consistently is, is a tall task. And, and AGVs um, can you know, do that in these sort of autonomous forklifts that, mm -hmm. that are out there in the world. But that's a very small percentage of the material handling equipment in the world. So by having a system that has that, that sort of breadth of an air gap and, and creates a lot of flexibility at, from an operational perspective, you know, you can have a great technology but if if the people that are employing the technology can't use it uh reliably or consistently the technology is is is, is you know probably not going to uh reach the potential that it would have to to solve some of the problems you have on uh, on the older technology and as, as you're speaking about it i guess the way i'm picturing it in my head is a stationary like base station right so where this maybe multiple of these, but like the, the places where the material material handling equipment stops for some extended period, that becomes the stationary place where it charges Correct. and then it, that's how you're thinking about it. Yeah, and there's also three levels that we really think about wireless charging material, material handling um, in the respects. So there's just sort of a one-to-one -one replacement of your wired charger. You know, some of the problems that material handling faces uh, with wired chargers is that uh, it's somewhat similar to what we're seeing in the in the EV world as well. It's like connectors and wires break. Um, there's a lot of downtime on the wired chargers in that space, and then you have some level of human error, people forgetting to to plug in. Uh, we've even heard a lot about which 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 amazes me, but does make sense on many levels. People just driving away with them still plugged in. And then you have uh, a host of different battery types in the warehousing space. So um, oftentimes um, you'll have a 24 volt battery in, in one vehicle, a 36 volt battery in another vehicle, and those are different chargers in some instances. So we often hear about people plugging the wrong chargers into the batteries, which then creates you know some catastrophic events for the batteries themselves. So there's a whole sort of host um, of problems for wire charging earlier, a little bit battery swapping as well. Um, so typically, how our customers are, are solving for this is is sort of somewhat crude in the respects that they just buy more equipment. 
So they have more batteries on hand than they that they would typically need if their systems operated perfectly or even close to perfectly, or even additional forklifts um, and such. So all this extra equipment adds up over time for them, or not over time, it's, it's pretty immediate in many respects, but does have a cumulative snowball effect for them. Um, so there's that first phase of, of replacing the, the wire chargers with a wireless charger um, to improve the uptime because wireless chargers, unlike wire chargers, don't have any moving parts. So those, those issues with, with connectors and cables goes away. Um, so that sort of uptime um, is, is increased from that perspective. Um, so that's sort of the first level is really improving your, your efficiency and uptime uh, with the wireless one-to-one uh, -one swap. But then you sort of get into two additional two phases that we kind of look at. And then the second is in addition to having that sort of corral that, that you typically see in, in the warehousing or manufacturing facilities, um, you have opportunity charging and opportunity charging is having a, a station uh, positioned within the warehouse where a driver might have to stop for five to 10 minutes uh, in generally in a pretty consistent consistent uh, manner so that they can get a little bit of a charge um, as they either they're taking their break, they're waiting for another pellet to be delivered or piece on the line to come off or something mm -hmm. of that nature. So it's sort of augmenting that larger, longer charging that they would they would do in that the corral, so to speak. Um, so that you're starting to see a benefit there in terms of uh, of keeping the equipment moving uh, more consistently within the environment, not having to go back to that that charging corral to get the charge. And then finally, I think the the final step really is sort of the, the coup de grace, so to speak, um, is dynamic charging within the warehouse space. And by dynamic charging, we 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 envision a world where um, or or a system that we're building towards, whereas there'll be um, charging base stations within the environment at a consistent intervals. And as the vehicles are moving through the environment, they're getting small charges of energy, small, you know, pushes of energy. And those small pushes of energy add up over time. So what you see happening is, is now you're able to move towards sort of the 24 seven operation of these vehicles um, because you're consistently charging um, throughout the environment. And then that unlocks the possibility um, for the batteries on the vehicles to become much smaller, which reduces costs as we know. So the system that started by just, um, you know, improving your uptime and, and through reliability of the charging now starts to get, to get pretty exciting because you're moving to a system that you're looking at sort of the optimization of the charging and, and the actual chargers and the vehicles in the environment. That makes a lot of sense about the, the three different phases of, of adoption in the warehouse space. And it seems like, especially when you add AGVs to the mix in this phase three that you're talking about of kind of continuous dynamic charging, that can certainly be a, a powerful solution for incorporating uh, yeah, be, be, better electric autonomous material handling solutions in a very effective way on, on the, uh, the warehouse floor. So appreciate that. But anything else you'd say about that specific those specific applications for material handling and, and what you guys are doing or where you see wireless charging going yeah the, i think there's you know from from our perspective and, and what we're understanding from our our customers i think there's a larger larger story that emerges and, and part of the story is is that really wireless charging in many respects uh, at least from our perspective 
really is about becoming connected tissue, uh, so to speak, to a larger um, sort of energy management system. So for instance, within the warehousing space, there's oftentimes many different batteries that you'll see. We talked about that a little bit earlier. Um, you see both uh, lead acid and lithium um, in, within the warehousing space, and predominantly it's, it's lead acid. I think it's greater than 90% of the, of the electric uh, material handling equipment you see have lead acid batteries in them. The interesting thing about those lead acid batteries, unlike lithium batteries, which you, you, know, are, you see in your, um, your EVs, is that they don't have a battery management system. And, and by that, I mean, they don't have sort of a, the smarts attached to them that is really monitoring, monitoring the health of the battery uh, and the use of the battery. And so in many respects, wireless charging or our systems become that, that BMS. And so from that, we're able to then start extracting a huge amount of data. Um, and that data is everything from the state of charge to the health of the battery, um, as it's being charged, as its, uh, as its life goes on and such. And so with all this data that you can start getting from the batteries within the warehouse space, both the lead acid and lithium, you start to get to look um, at sort of a, a total view of your energy use at, uh, within, the, within the space. And so really what that then becomes is this, you know, wireless charging uh, again becomes that connective tissue between all those batteries within the space that allows the operator and end user to start looking at more specifically, how do we best optimize that energy to, to move uh, the pieces and parts uh, through the warehousing and manufacturing space? So where do we place the chargers? When do we replace the batteries? What type of batteries we're using? So, and then that sort of dovetails into the actual building themselves that they're, they're in. So in many respects, as we all know, uh, companies worldwide are moving towards sustainability initiatives, and, and that often means the integration of renewable energies, uh, whether it's wind or solar with the, their buildings, um, and in some cases, battery storage. It's an, an area that I worked previous to resident link. So uh, now you have uh, renewables on site, you have uh, vehicles on site with batteries moving around, and, and so now you can start to begin to further optimize not only the energy going into the, the vehicles themselves, but how the energy is coming into the building, whether it's from the grid or, or renewables, how it's stored within the building, how it's distributed. And then in many cases, or not many cases, in, in sort of a future state, how that energy moves around between the vehicles themselves in a bi-directional manner to support various applications within the building. So this then sort of, uh, you know, is that sort of larger view of these, what, I'm what I sort of refer to as energy islands, whereas the, the grid starts to become some, somewhat of the backup, the renewable mm -hmm. and, and solar often becomes the primary source of energy. And then wireless is used to, to and, you know, the smarts of the systems then uh, and data is then used to optimize the, the flow of energy through the building. So then it really starts to get interesting, and I think you know really starts touching most people um, is is the roadways. Uh, and the next logical step for the material handlers, uh, think about your large three uh, PLs, whether it's the e-commerce giants that are delivering you you uh, goods or the, the the major retailers themselves that deliver their own goods. They're going to want to know how much energy it takes them 
to get the package on their shelf or to their shelf in many instances and then to your doorstep. And with wireless charging and the sort of the rise of, of electric vehicles in the last mile delivery space, um, they can now get that, that total view. Um, so what we're seeing or, or, or hearing from our customers is that the warehousing floors will really be the start of wireless charging at, at, a, at a large scale because it's really, it's a small city, it's a contain, contained space that they can really work work it. And then it leads into their, their last mile delivery vans. Um, again, hopefully solving for some of the issues that they see in the floor, you know, human error from not plug connectors and things of that nature. Um, to, to uh, be sure that those last mile delivery vans are properly charged to get to the roadways. And then they start to see a totality of, of the energy use uh, from, the, from the floors to the roadways. And so that's kind of our view of how wireless charging begins to sort of peek into the, to the larger landscape of electric vehicles. And, and obviously there's, you know, the other approaches happening as well from sort of those high-end vehicles you know, folks like Tesla teasing it and others that are announcing wireless charging in some of the sort of high-end luxury vehicles um, uh, occurring in the next couple of years as well. But so you're seeing it at least for the, the applications you guys are focusing on, it's it's more in the commercial space and, um, you know, delivery space where you'll see the immediate applications? Yeah, because there's, there's high value there, um, you know, Every every uh, reliability and every um, every electron counts for these uh, folks moving packages, and delivering goods, and selling goods, um, and so the ability to see that totality of the the, the energy system um, and electrify all of their vehicles and, and use the system, a united system of charging as opposed to pieces and parts of different chargers and such, is highly attractive to them. I'm not saying that this is going to happen overnight, um, but this is, I think, something that we've envisioned and and has been validated by our customers as as a, as a goal that we're all working towards um, to get that sort of uh, not only efficient use of energy, but um, also start to drive down the cost of wireless charging that then enables it for the, the OEMs to put it into um, not only their high-end vehicles that they can charge a premium for the wireless charging, but also can put it into some of the more affordable vehicles that will be hitting the marketplace to drive mass adoption of electric vehicles. And how do you, so there's there's two kind of ob, objections or kind of barriers that I have in my mind that I'd be curious to understand how, how you're going about overcoming these. So the first is proving that the system actually does what you say it does, right? So you, I think you have great claims. You talk about the the sure. background, which is, you know, great pedigree to develop the system. It sounds like a great concept. Um, has some proven success in industries outside of mobility, um, mm -hmm. and but how do you go about proving to to your handling companies or or you know automotive OEMs who are generally pretty risk averse when introducing new technologies? How, how do you go about proving that yes, this thing's actually going to do what we say? It's not going to result in a bunch of quality issues. It's not going to damage your brand. There's not going to be reliability issues. This is going to do and kind of respond the way that you need it to. Yeah, we do it very deliberately. Uh, one of the fundamental principles that we were founded on um, is deliver on every promise. Uh, you know, many companies make broad, great, and grandiose promises and, and, and that never deliver. So our approach is and has been in every market we've been into is it's, it's a journey. It's not about what the end goal is. And so by that, what I mean is, is that we create steps along the way to prove 
out the technology to our customers and, and the applicability of the, of, of the technology in the space. So let's take material handling as an example. So in material handling, um, we've just introduced our, our 19.2 kilowatt 400 amp system with a 10 inch air gap that we talked about for an object detection. So uh, really, really uh, exceptional safety there. So we're working with uh, the leading lift truck manufacturers, battery makers, um, and charging OEMs in the space, as well as their, their end customers, the 3PLs. And so how we envision this, or, or how we're approaching this uh, with these folks is that we are producing um, sort of initial alpha units. So working to get them early versions of the system that they can work internally, but validate um, and verify all of our, as you said, claims, whether it's air gap, efficiency, safety, all those things that they can feel comfortable to integrate it within their systems. So that's sort of the first step, and we're just starting that, that process with, with a, a number of the leading OEMs in the space. The second step is we go then to demo pilots, you know, pilot projects within facilities to, to really, again, dig into the value, not only show how the technology works, but really dig into the value of the technology for the end user. And the value it can be measured in a number of ways, and, and that's something we're working very closely uh, with the end users and the OEMs we're working with is to really measure, you know, how much is this saving me? So, for instance, you know, looking at things like downtime versus uptime, the very simple equation there, also looking at things like um, soft costs. So by soft costs, what I mean by that is in the material handling space, um, turnover of forklift drivers is as astronomical. So uh, one of the biggest challenges that we all face today is labor. And so how do you introduce technologies that also uh, that not only make your, your drivers uh, work more efficiently, make them happier, so to speak, so how do we measure happiness, so to speak? And so one of the ways we're, we're working with our customers is to look at retention. And so removing sort of friction points in the, 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 the operator's daily experience, and, and from what our experience has been, is charging is a, is a serious friction point for them. It's how many drivers do you um, then retain? And that's probably maybe a long-term measurement of it. But what we're really trying to do with our customers each step of the way is again verify and validate our claims, determine the value for them, and then also incrementally, how do we then roll this out throughout your systems? What are the applications that make the most sense for you in your environment? And so that's really our approach in the OEMs, um, excuse me, in the material handling space, is to really take it a step by step, not mm -hmm. trying to boil the ocean and promise things uh, and, and then not deliver, but really, really prove ourselves every step of the way. And, and that approach really has been successful uh, to date. And one of the reasons I think it has been successful is, is that, that level of transparency and really working with our customers in terms of, of bringing a product to market that really adds value for them. Um, so that's really our approach in the material handling space. The OEM space in terms of electric vehicles is, is slightly different um, because I think in many respects, they look at wireless charging, at least outside of commercial delivery vans, um, as sort of a convenience thing. It's more of a feature focus than, than an imperative, like there's not an economic imperative necessarily there. And so for many of the OEMs, as I'm sure you, you know, they've all had 
their their own experiences with wireless charging in the past. Um, I've spoken with many, some of which you know shockingly told me that they had wireless charging programs and uh, ten years ago, uh, which really surprised me. But one of the challenges uh, for them uh, in adopting this technology was cost uh, was was quite high. And then secondarily, the packaging of conventional systems, much like we talked about earlier, they're just too big and too large to fit on the vehicles. Yep. And if you know anything about manufacturing a car, space matters. Every little every inch or millimeter on a vehicle matters. Uh, so uh, it really, it was a technology that I think most most owners recognize um, could help people uh, get past the fear of charging and, and getting into electric vehicle, but just, you know, from a, from a physical and commercial perspective, it just wasn't mature enough yet. Yeah, and you've already so really kind of proactively yeah again our, our our approach with 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 them is with is you know we work with many have worked and are working with many oems and tier one manufacturers for for, for that uh, matter is to really educate them on on the differences in our technology and previous technologies that they've worked with and seen uh typically what we do is what we call an opportunity study so we'll take their specifications so if you are have a vehicle in mind that you want to uh, put wireless charging in, whether it's a last mile delivery van or a high end um, sports car. You tell us what you value and we, what's the space that you can fit it in. And then we would do what we call an opportunity study, which really is a high level design of our system compared to a conventional system um, and really show them what we feel are the differences in terms of not only the performance level, but the cost level. And because those those numbers are generally pretty significant, it, it, it generally catches people's attention pretty quickly. Uh, so this, we've we've received a great deal of interest um, because, as we all know, it's kind of an arms race now in, in the electric vehicle space, and, and charging is probably going to be that sort of next level of the arms race right now. The race to get models to the to the to the public, so to speak, but charging is going to be very quickly that next level. So um, our approach is, again, similar to manually handling step by step, making sure that they're comfortable with the technology, showing the value, and, and how do we then thread into their, their product rollouts. Yeah, yeah and I was going to say, so you, you've already kind of proactively touched on and, and covered the, the second hurdle that I was going to mention of, like, a, a, this cost issue, maybe just expanding a, a touch there. So I think it's a similar story for a manufacturer of a material handle piece of material handling equipment, the automotive OEM who's building a commercial vehicle product and also the automotive OEM that's creating a product that's meant for private use or, or personal use. And that, yeah, there's this question of will the additive cost of whatever feature or additional function functionality is going added, like, Will their customer value that at or above the value or the cost that it is incurred to introduce that technology? And I mean, I think the way you talked about it makes a, makes a lot of sense. I think the I imagine the the magic goes into actually uh, the execution here, right? Of pulling together a clear case study and making sure that you're talking to the right people at the end customers, so that you're not getting a promise from some, an engineer who then the purchasing team or the finance team is not really in to write the check when the time comes to actually buy the vehicle and, and all that type of stuff. But uh, yeah, it make, makes a lot of sense the way that you guys, the way you guys are thinking about it. 
Yeah, and I think, you know, for, for the OEM, in the OEM space, as we all know, they're going through a great deal of not necessarily upheaval, but reinvention, so to speak, which mm-hmm. uh, leads to, I guess, upheaval in some respects. But, um, you know, all these companies right now, the traditional OEMs I'm, I'm really referring to, and then the startups, and then there's, you know, Tesla is, is its own beast. Um, you know, they're really going through a great deal of change. And, and for them, it's it's they've got the pedal to the floor, so to speak. And and so really understanding where they're at in that journey and that, that transition and what they're focused on is, is in some instances a bit of a challenge because they are very large sprawling corporations as you, you very well, well, well know. But there's one thing that is extremely, extremely clear to us from our interactions with the OEMs and, and the tier ones for that matter um, is that wireless charging is is on their roadmaps and solving for the issues of wireless charging is is a is definitely uh, moving up uh, in their strategies and in and and in their tactical execution. Um, the amount of interest that we've seen in wireless charging just over the last twelve months from the OEMs um, and the pace at which they want to move is is pretty startling, uh, given the technology kind of as Kind of remained on on the sidelines for for many years in, in the EV space, um, and again with Tesla putting the Easter egg out there a couple of weeks ago in their investor pre, investor day presentation that that you know there was a wireless charger in a garage that of course uh, uh, as well stirs a lot of interest as well. So, um, but fortunate for us as well from the commercial side. You know the 3PLs and some of these large e-commerce giants. You know, going back to that earlier vision of being able to measure uh, measure power throughout the delivery process, are putting pressure on on the uh, OEMs to deliver uh, electric vans that not only are electric but also can be charged um, you know, autonomously or, or wirelessly, however you want to put it, um, to make it to be as efficient as possible for their their operations. Yeah, cool. Well, I think fun, exciting topic, important topic here. Fun, fun getting your thoughts, Richard, on uh, the overall industry, how how this works, the unique angle you guys are taking in these different industries. I think, uh, yeah, I'm excited to to see how this progresses, and appreciate you joining. Fun, fun discussion here, and uh, yeah, definitely wish you the best of luck. Thank you, Brandon. Really appreciate your time today, and I look forward to talking again. Thanks. Well, there you have it. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Richard Morin. So what uh, what stands out? So one, I like the way Richard describes this of really, the solution seems obvious, right? So intuitively, it feels right. Wireless is probably the right way for us to be charging. If you've made the switch for, I don't even something simple like your cell phone, right? At least think, thinking anecdotally, it took me some time before I switched to a wireless charging solution. But once I did, I certainly haven't looked back. The challenges of you know finding the cord, plugging it in, the cha- the difficulties of getting that plug, that uh, kind of charge charge your connection correctly every time. Like, yeah, it, it's a much simpler solution, a much uh, better solution going to wireless. It seems reasonable that something similar should happen in the mobility space. So, talking forklifts, I think this makes a lot of sense. Find the areas where forklifts park and get boosts of energy, look for those opportunities where this can be continuous, seamlessly put into effect. I imagine 
one of the big concerns of someone who's going to an electric forklift, forklift is, you know, what happens if you don't charge? What happens if you miss that? Seems like there's a good way to mitigate that if you're able to be intentional, put restraints in place and put a system in place that actually works. The question then is, okay, how do you have a wireless charging solution that actually delivers on the promise that is worth the cost, whatever incremental cost there is that fits within the packaging envelope that you have available. And also that works reliably every time, right? Someone parks a little bit offset, you're fine. It has the charging efficiency you're looking for all these things. And the way Richard describes, it sounds like resident link is doing some great work here and yeah, excited to see how they're able to progress and where they're able to go from here. So hope you enjoyed that conversation. I think certainly a fun topic, a relevant topic as we're talking about EV adoption in multiple realms of mobility, defining mobility as a movement of goods and, and people. So certainly forklift materials movement, as well as kind of on-road type applications and commercial off-road ap- applications I'll play here. But um, yeah, fun, relevant topic. Hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for listening. And as always, more to come next week. Thank you for listening to the Future of Mobility podcast brought to you by Edison Manufacturing and Engineering. If you have a need for a trusted manufacturing partner for low volumes of highly complex products, then please visit us at edison-mfg.com or feel free to shoot me a note directly at brandon.bartnick at edison-mfg.com or visit my LinkedIn page, Brandon Bartnick. Edison specializes in build and assembly of highly complex products and annual volumes of ten to tens of thousands, utilizing an agile and capital light approach. If you're making an impact in the mobility space, we'd love to help. Until next time, thank you for listening to the Future Mobility Podcast.